This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. There are no games in the NHL this evening. That's right, no games in the NHL this evening. No games on Thanksgiving either, but we always see that. Now, this has been a sort of twist of the schedule. I put a tweet out about this, a couple of them this morning. I mentioned this yesterday on the show, and I'll do it again right now. Here's why. Because the knee-jerk when we see situations like this is, I can't believe what dumb the NHL is. Okay. So here's why there are no games tonight around the NHL. Uh, There were only three teams slash buildings that were available to host games tonight. Vancouver, Calgary, Arizona. Canadian teams during Thanksgiving week in the United States get sent to the United States because most teams request games on Thanksgiving week at home. That's where the requests come. So Canadian teams go to the States. You might want it. You might say to yourself after that, well, okay, Merrick, that's, we understand that for Vancouver and Calgary, but what about Arizona? Arizona was against playing back-to-back games at home Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, 12 teams playing Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So they couldn't schedule a Tuesday or that would be four games in five nights. That is a no-no. Also, the four teams who went to Sweden are not available. That's why there are no games tonight. Now, I think in a situation like this, if I'm the American Hockey League, I might want to heavy up on games as well to maybe draw some attention. Uh, And we have a quick look at the schedule. Uh, We have Lehigh Valley against Toronto, Tucson and Calgary, Henderson and Bakersfield, Ontario and Coachella Valley, San Diego and San Jose in the American Hockey League. You know, one of the things that I wonder about, too, is if there are other nights like this in the future around the NHL. If I'm the um, if I'm the PWHL, uh, the new women's league starting in January, I find those dates and I heavy up my games on those dark days where there is no NHL competition. Um, It's one of the things that I submitted to you on Twitter, which is namely with no games tonight, what should the NHL do? Maybe the question should be, uh, what should the American League do? What should the PWHL do? What should the OHL, QMJHL, WHL do? What should everyone around the NHL and the hockey ecosystem, the hockey universe do? We're going to get into this with Elliot in a couple of moments, and it'll sort of be a theme that runs through today's day. Because we're talking a lot about what happened last night. And what happened last night is there's a one very specific interview that triggered a war of words. One that many say should not have gone public. That it was a private conversation. Nonetheless, I'm sure you've all had a look at the uh, the, the war. The war between Tim Peel, former NHL referee, and Mark Spector of Sportsnet, who covers the Edmonton Oilers. Now, the whole thing began over uh, over a question that Mark Spector asked in the scrum last night after um, the Edmonton Oilers lost to the Florida Panthers. Let's hear Connor McDavid post game yesterday. What's the hardest thing? Like, like defensively, you guys are struggling. Offensively. You got a couple tonight, but the power play's struggling. Like, are you better off to try to win this thing 4-1 or try to win it 7-5? You love this question, but um, I've answered it so many times. We're trying to keep the puck out of our net, obviously. Um, that's our main focus, and obviously we haven't done that, again, for a number of different reasons. Um, so um, we're always trying to uh, defend. Um, yeah. Okay, so what Mark Spector is getting at there is, 
listen, this is a team that has dined out on offense. This is a team that has won those 7-5 games. Like with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, when you have two Ferraris in your driveway, you let them go. You let them drive. There is no speed limit for you, you two Ferraris. You let them go. But... The Edmonton Oilers in the offseason um, had a, a, a thorough look. And this is from a lot of different levels, too. This wasn't, you know, just the, uh, you know, Jay Woodcroft, the former head coach, saying, here's how we need to play now. Like, this is a conversation within the entire organization. And I think a lot of it revolved around, okay, why was Boston successful? Like, why was Boston successful in the regular season? And why was Vegas successful in the postseason? And is there something we can do similar to how Boston played in the uh, regular season and how Vegas performed in the playoffs. And they made the conscious decision to try to play a little bit more defensively. That is what Mark Spector, I believe, was trying to get at with that question. And it triggered a war of words between him and former NHL referee Tim Peel. Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada joins us now. Um, Elliot, before I ask you about the, uh, the situation with, uh, with Peel and Spectre here, I understand yeah. what he, where he was going with the question. Essentially, what he's asking is, you know, you're a team that's always won 7-5 games. That's where you're comfortable, Connor. That's where Leon is comfortable. That's how the Oilers play because they have the thoroughbreds to run like that. Should you be trying to win games three to two, or as he mentions, four to one? You know the new defensive structure that we've talked about, which hasn't exactly worked so far for the Oilers. That's what I think Mark Spector was getting at with that question. But that was a decision that wasn't just made by Woodcroft. Like that is an organizational decision. How did Boston do it in the regular season? How did Vegas do it in the playoffs? You know, Jeff, I, I think there's two different uh, arguments to be made here. Um, I remember there was, geez, I can't remember his his name, but I once took a course on interviewing, and he had, his whole theory was that there were micro issues and macro issues. And what you're talking about here is the micro issue, the specific question in the specific moment. And honestly, I think this is a macro issue. And that is that, like, I'll, I'll say this, I do not miss, being a daily reporter i I don't miss that i think Mm -hmm. look like unless you're covering real world events or when sports collides with the real world um the the, the toughest thing in sports reporting is um being a daily reporter around a good team or a team with have high expectations whose season is going off the rails these types of things happen all the time this is when like look like What we have here is a perfect recipe for a a blow-up between an athlete and a player. And I've been in those before. And even if you don't mean it, even if you're trying to get an honest answer to a question for your story, like McDavid, he cannot stand to lose. He absolutely hates it. He sees what everybody else is seeing. Like, there's going to be times guys are going to react like that. And, you know, the difference is now, Jeff, is that you know, you go back and you look, there's some, there's some great ones over the years. There was, you know, Lou Pinella and a reporter. Um, there were a few of them with Lou Pinella. Um, I mean, I, was, I remember one with Ryan Leaf and a reporter when he was in San Diego. Um, you know, Larry Brooks and John Tortorella. Um, like, it used to be we all used to just laugh at those kind of on the side. Now it just plays out and everybody just... Like, nobody can, everybody has to have an opinion. 
nobody can look at it and just laugh, like or just or talk about it with their friends. Now everybody has to weigh in, and it's it's not enough to just weigh in. You have to pile drive the person that you disagree with. Like that's what our discourse is like now. So, like to me, that there the way Edmonton season is going. If you're in there day to day, there are going to be exchanges like this because the reporters have nothing new that they can write about. And the players are pissed off and furious and frustrated. And that's what happened. Like, to me, I look at that and I say, that's going to happen in a year like this. It just is. And the difference now is that, you know, you can't just drive past the car accident. You can actively participate in it. Well, no, now you can you can stop, take a picture, and put it up on your Twitter slash X. That's what happens. No one just drives by and says, ooh, that looked bad. You stop and you take pictures and, and you document it all yourself with your own editorial as well. And way, um, way the, the sidebar. You know, about the DM, yeah. I just say this. Like, I don't think DMs should be posted. But the one thing I tell people now all the time is you have the way the world is that I remember when – that thing happened with the Uber and the Ottawa Senators. Um, yeah. Like I said, it was outrageous that that got put out there in public. And people just said to me, that's the world now. So I always tell people, and I think about it myself, anything you put down in a text message or an email or a WhatsApp message, you have to assume now it's going everywhere. You just have to because people don't believe in privacy anymore. Um, okay, so he- here's what I wonder coming off the loss last night. Again, uh, the Oilers lose to the Florida Panthers 5-3. to three. They squander a two-goal lead. Connor McDavid has two goals, including uh, a penalty shot goal, but not so fast. The Oilers lose again. Um, is this really going to play itself out as if it's 82 one-game seasons for Edmonton? Like, are we doing this now? And listen, I'm guilty of it because we yeah. do it on the podcast. I do it here. After every Edmonton loss, I think it's because we're all sort of flabbergasted that this has happened to the Oilers. And we're all saying to ourselves, don't worry, they'll be fine. I can still see the Oilers making the playoffs. You know, here comes Thanksgiving where we all make our decision who's in and who's out. And the Oilers are very out. Yeah. Thank you very much. Like, they are not just out. They are very out. Like, are we doing this every game until finally Edmonton waves the white flag, if indeed that's where this thing is going? Because that's what it feels like to me. And I'll, I'll, I'll go one more. I had a conversation with someone last night who said, you know what the risk is for the Oilers is that they lose the team, that all of a sudden you start to see the players start to start to fade or start to, I don't want to say quit, because I don't think players quit, especially not this early in the season. But you know what I mean? Like losing the squad, the team all of a sudden starts to, you know, they don't have that same energy they had at the beginning of the season. And then you really start to spiral. Do you have a thought on any of those points there? Well, you know, Jeff, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, um, you know, I, I think one of the big challenges, and, and I've said this many times, this is why I think they fired Woodcroft when they did, it's because they don't have, they do not have the luxury of letting this season uh, be like a, a ship into coral reef. They they do not have, they do not have that luxury, because you know right now you're looking at the short term picture. Let's win the game. Let's get back into the race. Okay, that's what you're thinking right now. But also, yeah. you know, you're sooner or later you start to look at the long term picture, like. 
uh-oh, like, you know, Dreisaitl, what's he thinking now? Now, I don't necessarily, I don't believe you're there yet, but it's there. It, it's not too far into the horizon if this doesn't turn around. You know, one of the things that the Oilers are very clear about is, you know, like, if they wanted to make a really bad trade for a goalie, they could do it. They absolutely oh, yeah. can do it. But on one level, they're saying, look, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not making a really bad trade for a goalie. So they've got their eye on the big picture on some level. But, you know, Jeff, like, I, I completely agree with you. I think that there's both a short and a long-term picture here. And if it doesn't clear up, then the long-term picture, it's, 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 it's not firmly in your hands. It's like, okay, what do these players think about mm. this? And, wh- and what does all that mean? And and honestly, Elliot, I can't help but wonder if players are wondering themselves, when is the help coming? We all know what the deficiencies are. And I, I understand your point, and players probably do as well, about if you want to make a bad trade, it's there. If you want to overpay to get a goaltender, it's there. If you want yeah. to overpay to get a defenseman, it's there. That's always avail- yeah. like, that's available to every team right now. And you know who I always think about? I always think about Ed Snyder the former owner of the Philadelphia Flyers, who at the end of no matter what deal they made always said the same thing. Did we overpay? Maybe, probably, but we got the guy. You know, Bobby Clark would say this too when he ran the Flyers. We got the guy. Didn't matter what we paid, one first-rounder, two first-rounders, this prospect, prospect, et cetera, we got the guy. I can't help but feeling that there's, there's, there's a part in Edmonton that's saying, much like Ed Snyder used to say, Maybe it shouldn't matter what we pay. We need the guy right now. To the point about Dreisaitl and McDavid and the primes and all those things we've gone over, do they need to have a little bit of Ed Snyder here and just say, we're going to go into this and we know we're going to quote-unquote lose the trade. We're going to overpay, but we need this guy or these guys right now. Do you think think they're getting close to that? I think that's what they're weighing. Um, you know, so far the answer to that question, Jeff, has been no, but I do think they're weighing that possibility. Um, look, like, both those games in Florida were winnable games. They scored four times yep. in Tampa, and they lost. They scored four times in Florida, and they lost. Like, what are you going to do? You, 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 should be, you should win in this league when you score four times. Like, you know, like, is it? And it's not only goaltending. You know, there's a lot of breakdowns happening on these goals. So on some level, like, like, like the thing is, like, I always remember Anthopoulos, right? Like that year, he goes for it, his last year with the Jays. But that year, he goes for it. And yep. why does he go for it? Because he sees the – because, A, he knows he's not keeping his job, that they're, they're looking in another direction. But also, B, he looks at the run differential of his team and he says, we're better than our record shows. Like, we have to go for this. So he does it. And, but, but the thing is, it's tough to look at the Oilers right now. Like, like if their underlying numbers were really good, Jeff, and, and they're losing, then you would say, you know what? Like, I would, I would invoke the Anthopolis rule. I, I'd go for it. But now... I mean, you're looking at the way you're playing. You're looking at the goals you're giving up. You're looking at the way you're losing games. And could 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 a could John Gibson make a difference? Yeah, I, I think he could. But he's not going to fix everything that ails you. And 
you know, like I said, they're in a unique point this year because of, of, of the contract calendar. The contract calendar is going to force them into a lot of difficult conversations and decisions. Um, but I think you have mm-hmm. to have some clarity on those things before, you know, before you go maniacal on some of the changes you make. Okay, um, off the Oilers page, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. There's another one. So John Davidson um, telling Aaron Portsline, you know, asked about moves that are on the horizon. And by the way, that's really horrible news about Damon Severson uh, yeah. and how long he's out for in that in that last game. Like the the last thing right now that the Edmonton or the uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets need uh, is to lose a defenseman like Damon Severson. And Severson is gone for six weeks after suffering an oblique injury in Sunday's game against the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, that was a game where most famously and notably Patrick Laine uh, was scratched. But here's what John Davidson said uh, to Aaron Portsline of The Athletic. No rash moves right now. We just keep riding this, keep pushing, no white flags, no sense of woe is me. Woe is me does not work. It's an emotional game, a hard game, but we need the improvements we're seeing with some of our younger players, Alexandre Texier, Kirill Marchenko, Adam Fantilli, these guys to continue. And we need our best players to start playing like they're capable of playing. That's what we need. That's what we're waiting to see. No help coming for Columbus. It's internal. Your thoughts yep. on JD's quote? Well, in a lot of ways, it's probably the same thing that Edmonton's weighing. When you're making trades at this point in time, you're making them from a real position of weakness, right? So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's a real challenge. Um, uh, so, in the same way that Edmonton says it's not going to make a stupid trade for a bully, I can see Columbus saying they're not going to make a, a stupid trade for someone else. Like, I get that. I I, as, as tough as it is to deliver that message, I, I completely agree with it. Um, you know, what that says to me is that, um, you know, David, it's a bit of a punt. Like, you know, Davidson saying, hey, there's no, not, nobody's coming to the rescue right now. Um, we have yeah. to sort this out. I'm not throwing people over the tit- overboard the Titanic. Um, he's just saying we're going to have to brace ourselves for some rough waters until we get through it. And, you know, to be honest, Jeff, it's not the answer that a lot of people like to give their fans, but it's in a lot of ways it's probably the right, the right one. When you are wounded or you are in a bad spot, that's where you make the biggest mistakes. Now, I, I, I think this. I think that I still think they've been looking around for a center. Obviously, they just don't think what's out there is available to them. You know, but if, if Goudreau and Line and some of their best players, and, we're, you know, someone pointed out to me, Wierenski has really struggled too. He does not look like himself either. You know, if, if you take any team and you take the equivalent of those three guys on the roster and they're not going, you're going to be in trouble. But again, like the, the thing that concerns me watching them is like, you know, what was the line we joked about yesterday on the phone? Uh, the benchings will continue until morale improves. Like you're, 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 <laughs> yes. you're like the tactic you're really trying. It doesn't seem to be working, yeah. and and that would that would concern me if I was like if I was a boss running a uh, running a group of employees and I was trying some form of discipline and it wasn't working like this. I'd be 
okay, I'm either I need a whole group, another group of employees, or my approach here is really not the right approach. It is, by the way, my favorite line of the week. And just so everyone heard it, the benchings will continue until morale improves. Obviously, a playoff on the beatings will improve, will uh, continue until the uh, until morale improves. Um, off the Columbus plate, I want to jump around to a couple of different things. First of all, um, the Vancouver Canucks beat the San Jose Sharks 3-1. to one. Quinn Hughes, one goal, two assists, three points. First in scoring, 30. He hits 30 points um, before game 20. Um, only two players have ever done that on the blue line. Bobby Orr did it twice. Al McKinnis did it once. This is more rarefied air for Quinn Hughes. But before I ask you about the Canucks and Quinn Hughes, I want to ask you a style question. And okay. we saw some really nice, uh, really nice combinations from the club, from the uh, Carolina Hurricanes last year. I love when they wear their whites with the red helmet. I think it looks great. Uh, we saw the Maple Leafs wearing blue helmets with their whites. I think that looks tremendous. But I don't know, man. That matte black, the helmet yeah, that Vancouver wear, wore last night, I don't know. I think that looks tremendous, Elliot. Before we get into more hockey, how about some fashion? Matte black in Vancouver. Well, you've seen some of the stuff I've worn over the past few years. Like, I'm all I'm into embracing the different. I, I really am. I love it. I I, I love the way that uh, the Maple Leafs looked in uh, in Sweden. I thought it looked fantastic. Yeah. I thought those I thought those looked last night uh, really good last night. Um, the Vancouver Canucks. I'm also a slightly different conversation, but I'm also of the belief that those Winter Classic jerseys that's no accident. Those things are getting leaked on purpose. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I just I, I'm, I'm for embracing all of it. I, I really, I, I like try like try things. Who cares if some people don't like them? If you really don't like them, you don't have to wear them again. But try some, but try yeah. the stuff. But as for shoes, Jeff, it's becoming like Eric Carlson. You know when? Yeah. Like, it, it, like that, that's what when I saw that goal last night. I don't like. I don't know if Carlson ever scared people as much as a shooter. Um, he was more as a as a guy who could single handedly break down your defense and then make a pass that led to a goal. I don't know if people were ever as afraid of him as a shooter. But you know, Ottawa fans can mm-hmm. tell me if I'm wrong. But boy, it's reminding me of Prime Eric Carlson. Yeah, he looks uh, tremendous. Uh, he's right there. I, again, we're going to have a, a lot of time with no games tonight and, and no games on Thursday to talk about uh, awards and who's in the lead. Um, listen, Kel McCarr is pouring it on, too, and we saw that again last night. Um, but Quinn Hughes right now, whether it's the Norris and the Hart Trophy as well, uh, he's a leader in a number of different categories here. Um, let me circle back to Seattle you just mentioned a couple of seconds ago and specifically the uh, the Winter Classic jersey. Here's what I can't understand. And maybe, you know, that leak that we saw, sorry, doing the ironic quotation marks, maybe the leak that we saw was just a trial balloon to see what criticism comes back or fashion advice comes back. Here's what I couldn't figure out about it. You're going for an old Seattle Metropolitan's vibe. And I think that's the right thing to do. I think that's going to look fantastic. The one thing that it's dearly missing, if you're going to go for that way back machine look, you're going back to the... uh, the Pacific Coast League and the Frank and Lester Patrick vibe, how that jersey doesn't have strings to me. Like, who makes that decision? Like, how do you not look at that and say, you know what? We're going in the way back machine here. We need some strings here around the collar. I'm going to start calling you the schedule and string police. 
<laughs> Schedule and String Insider. That's my deal, man. I got to find my niche here, Elliot. Actually, I got to tell you, Strings would look good. I, I can't argue with you on that one. Yeah. I, I'm not so sure about that okay. Vegas. First of all, I, I don't know if you can change that stuff now. Like, the, the game's in six weeks. I'm not sure how much you can change. Um, but I really like that Seattle jersey, too. I understand your point about the string. Same. I want, I want to see that Vegas jersey in person. Like, it's... Like when I, when I was the editor of the uh, of the student newspaper in Western, if I ever left too much white space, people would say that's a waste of good white space. I I want to see that uh, that Vegas one in person. It looks like it looks like too much white space to me, but I, I want to see it in person. Slowly but surely, you're coming over to my side now. You like the dark-colored helmets? You think there's too much white on the jersey? I love it, Elliot. Slowly but surely, you're you're warming to, to some of my planks here in hockey. I like this. I like this is going, Elliot uh, Friedman. Okay, let's see if we can be on the same page about something else as well. <laughs> okay, my Devotchka, let me see if we're on the same page about this one thing here as well. I think that the play of the night last night was Quinton Byfield's pass to Anse Kopitar. Just a gorgeous play, a beautiful backhand pass, a laser beam. You know, I was having a conversation with someone this morning who called me up and said, I hope you talk about this today because that's for everybody out there who said, oh, you know what, we haven't seen Quinton Byfield since he got drafted. Ah, that's a a bad pick. He said, calm, everyone needs to calm down, whether it's Alexi Lafreniere, and I know he's got some Panarin fairy dust sprinkled over him right now with the Rangers. I I understand that, but his point was mainly... Look, th- this season is for everybody with Quinton Byfield, 55. With For everybody who says, if you don't pop in the first couple of years, you're a bust. Byfield is playing great for the Kings uh, this season so far. I know he's playing with Kopitar, and that makes it easier. But that play was tremendous last night, Elliot. They beat the uh, Arizona Coyotes 4-1. Do you have a thought on the Kings right now? And specifically, double nickels, Quinton Byfield. I know on the road, uh, it's it's really impressive. Um, you know, I, I, the biggest thing I worry about the Kings is that Eric Gangle picked them to win the Stanley Cup this year, and he's going to be unbearable <laughs> if that comes through. Oh, I know. Don't answer your phone when he calls if the Kings win the Cup. I don't think I can live in a world where Eric Gangle is correctly predicted the Stanley Cup champion. Uh <laughs> Um, you know, I, uh, I, I, I mean, full marks to them. Um, you know, I, I think the, the one thing that I, I'd say this about Rob Blake, um, he, he seems to really understand roster construction. Um, they, uh, you know, every hole he's plugged kind of makes sense, right? Like, you look at all the guys they've brought in, Deneau, Dubois, Victor Arvidsson, although he's been hurt. Uh, some of the moves on defense, uh, Gavrikov, they all seem to find a good fit. Like Blake, I mean, you think Blake would. He was a hell of a player, obviously. But he seems to really understand, you know, who fits best in, in what hole. They play really structured. But, look, I, you know, I'm with you on, on Byfield. Uh, he, you know, and that's the thing. Like, the challenge is being patient now. And all of a sudden, Byfield looks like he's oh, yeah. doing a new level. And the other thing, someone sent me a note yesterday. Kaliev now he's he's no longer uh, he's no longer avoids waivers, and that's that's a big step too because that says to me that he's found a place 
you know, where he belongs in that roster. And so, like, you know, because clearly uh, the Kings had felt that their their youthful retool didn't work, and not everybody they're gonna they they, they put there is gonna make it. But now at least they look like they have guys who are gonna be contributors, and and that's pretty big. Uh, I'm really glad you mentioned Kaliev too, because we talk about players that score, like forwards that score from distance. You know, Austin Matthews is, is top of that bunch. Connor Bedard's going to be there. Uh, we all know as well. Arthur Kaliev is that guy too. Like that yeah. guy's shot is a laser beam. He doesn't need to be in tight to score. He can score from distance. I'm I'm glad you brought him up. I'm like I'm like you. Like I watch the Los Angeles Kings. Like they're so much fun to watch. Some great. We haven't even mentioned Adrian Kempe. Uh, yeah, he's been uh, tremendous Cam as Talbot. well. Um, but I. I'm waiting for it to burst, Elliot. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for that bubble to pop. Like I'm I'm waiting for that soap bubble to go, but it hasn't well, so you far. Know, I'll, been I'll tell you a story of good. I'll tell you a story about Talbot. Um, I asked Bill Guerin about this a few years ago, but uh, Bill Guerin traded for Cam Cal or signed Cal Cal Talbot to a three-year deal after he had a really tough season. I want to say it was in Calgary. After he had a really tough season in Calgary, and I remember asking Garen about it, and he told me that the underlying numbers, he said that his stats guys told him that the underlying numbers were really good for Talbot, and they believed if he played in a structured system, he would be better. And Garen said that he took a chance based on that, and he believed it to be true, and the Kings are really structured. And, um, you know, and I think that there, so we'll see where it goes over the rest of the year. But I've always remembered that conversation about Talbot, that, that the wild believe that his underlying numbers indicated that he, that he was a good fit for a certain system. And the Kings are very much like that. I think his biggest claim to fame is he overcome a significant playing handicap, and that was sharing the same ice with Clark McLean at uh, Alabama Huntsville back in 2008-2009. He was able to overcome that. Now Clark, one of our favorite agents with uh, with Duberman's group, but he overcame playing yeah. on on Clark McLean, Doug McLean's son's team, Elliot. That's 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 some high praise right there. Um, before I let you go. But before I let you go, real quick thought on the uh, the Calgary Flames starting to turn things around. Five, one, and two in their last eight. They beat Seattle in overtime. They finally win in overtime. Gave four to three uh, is the final. Huberto with one plus one. Rasmus Anderson with the uh, uh, with the overtime heroics and Dan Vladar with twenty eight saves. Are they slowly turning this thing? Well, I, I think the thing that is interesting to me is that some of their best players are starting to get going. Like their kids kept them above water. And now you look, Lindholm starting to go, Huberto's starting to go, and you really hope that's not a one-week blip. Um, Ladar gave them a hell of a game last night. Like, that was a really good game. Uh, either team could have won that one. Ladar gave them a, a really good game. Um, look, like, you know, like, I, 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 I sent a note. I was, I was texting with someone there, and his wife was, just stop talking about us. And I said, give me something else to talk about. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, I, I, but you know what? I, I think, like, I, I really think that's it. I think they just need to, like, I, 
I, I, sometimes things are a coincidence and sometimes things are real. But look, like yeah. sometimes you have to hit rock bottom before you can fix things. And, and maybe now that everything's out in the open, Calgary can just concentrate on hockey because they did look really good last night. They had plenty of excuses to lose that game on the road and they found a way to win it. Yeah, they did. Uh, okay, on that, we'll let you get back to your walk. Uh, thanks, Fridge. We will talk to you Thursday. Is it a writing day for you tomorrow? A writing day tomorrow. I didn't get okay, it done I'll last talk- week. Uh, sport, the .ca guys are mad at me. They're cursing the day I was born, so I have to finish it this weekend. I would like to proudly announce, Jeff, I did not lock myself out of the house there. Well, congratulations on the small victories. And considering you missed last week, I think the .ca guys were expecting 64 thoughts this week. So we'll see what you can come up with there. All right. See a rebrand coming. All right. Thanks, pal. Uh, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada.